0: Well, welcome in, everybody. This is Joel Redwansky, the big dog of the coach, John Cohn. Well, he's got previous arrangements, so I'm going to be doing the show solo today, unless, unless uh, the great producer David Olsen pipes in a little bit, and you call us at 888-463-6748. Here on two guys in a mic, even though it's like one and a half guys in a mic on this particular show. Well, as we uh, flow in here for this particular uh, Wednesday show, now normally when you're talking the day after the All-Star break, there's really uh, certain things that you always talk about as, as the sports show, and we
1: are the sports show for the non-sports fan. And uh, like, normally you talk about the All-Star game, you give your, your awards for the first half of the season, and since I am an avid baseball fan, I definitely will do all of that. But there's a lot going on in the world of sports. Uh, you have the Women's World Cup. Semi final going on today. The United States taking on, on uh, France. It's going to be one heck of a, of a football match. And there's uh, <laughs> some outrageous stories coming out of sports. We're going to get into uh, in depth on I mean, these. Some of these are really funny. So it's Jerome or James Harrison talking about Roger Goodell, folks. Absolutely lambasting him. And he said a quote that is downright nasty, dirty, maybe even a little bit offensive. But he, to be quite honest with you, folks, the fact that somebody decided not to be PC and just say exactly how they felt about another human being, I think it's good in the world of sports. I finally, I'm going to applaud James Harrison for at least being honest, even though he is being a little bit boorish. And we're also going to take on the Roger Clemens case. Real quick, and my whole take on it is, what would happen if I was called to the stand? Because they're calling people for no particular reason there. So what if they called me? I've watched every single baseball game I possibly can. I'm a historian of the game of baseball. I read everything I possibly can about any player. So uh, I think I have a pretty good perspective. And if they're calling people that had nothing to do with Roger Clemens, they might as well call me. Or what I would have said if I was one of the prospective jurors. Because, man, I really wish I could have given the game of baseball and Roger Clemens my little uh, say. Of course, what I would have said would have definitely eliminated me from the juror box. And, uh... A little news of the weird. Uh, there's another Lorena Lor- Bobbitt people. Believe it or not, yes, it's happened again. Yes, man, I know you're cringing everywhere. You just say the name Lorena Bobbitt, and any man knows exactly what I'm talking about. But there's another one out there. Her name is Catherine Q. Becker, and I'll get into her story later. And according to her, he deserved it. Well, we'll have to find out later. And uh, and just a little tip. In the, uh, the last couple of days, you know, I've been pretty good shape. Now, I'm in the worst shape I've been in in years, to be honest with you right now, but compared to a typical human being, I'm in pretty good shape, and I have to admit on Monday, after doing uh, my kayak tours with water riders, uh, and I will do the ad later for water riders, so I know everybody sits around on the edge of their seat waiting for that one, Uh, but even I started suffering maybe from a little bit of heat exhaustion. I was thoroughly surprised. I said, you know, maybe if it can happen to me, I should be a... I should maybe take uh, into consideration... All the things people tell you to do, so you don't suffer from heat exhaustion. So I'll go over that real quick, and hopefully I'll make have a little fun with that. So, uh, but last night the All Star game, what a ball game! You know, uh, it maybe moved along a little slow, but it was great at first because you know there's no hits in the games. These pitchers are just dominated, and then uh, Adrian Gonzalez, who is uh, my pick for the the first half of American League MVP, breaks the 0-0 tie with a a rocket of a home run over in right center, just missed the pool. Uh, i got to tell you something, that cat, that cat is one of the finest hitters at the game of baseball, if not the best, as we speak right now. And if he isn't the best, the guy batting uh, uh, behind him yesterday, Jose Batista, is uh, you know the best hitter in, in all of baseball. So we'll just go with Adrian Gonzalez, the best left-handed hitter, Jose Batista, the best right-handed hitter in the game right now. Uh, since Albert Poole says uh, just coming back from a broken arm, I'm going to have to go with those two. But pretty good game last night. Uh, the Roy Halladay started for the National League. And, uh, he looked really good. Jared Weaver started for the American League. He looked just as good, but, uh, he left after the, the first inning and Josh Beckett was going to come in and, and pitch for the American League, but he said his knee hurt and in a, in a real game, even though this one counts. In a real game, he said he could have pitched. Um, other than that, uh, the American League got the one-up the lead. Then after that, uh, uh, Prince Fielder, who got an awful lot of booze in his first at bat, uh, hit a rocket of a line drive into, left center three-run blast to give the National League the lead. They added on a couple more. They went 5-1, and the, the fans of Arizona gave Prince Fielder a real nice applause at the end of the game when he got the MVP. I thought that showed uh, the Arizona people had some class. And the whole story about that is uh, this year there was captains for the home run derby. Coach and I talked about it. We thought it was a really good idea on Monday. And uh, it ended up being a pretty good battle for the home run derby. But um, – the captains picked the teams, and David Ortiz was the captain for the American League and, and the National League. Prince Fielder was the captain. And <laughs> Prince Fielder got booed mercilessly on uh, on uh, Monday night during the home run derby because he didn't pick Justin Upton to go with him. He actually picked Ricky Weeks, one of his teammates. And quite honestly, that was it was a big surprise. And I guess if you're going to elect captains, which I like this idea because it, it makes it a little bit more competitive. Players are probably more apt to go, especially if one of their friends asks them to go, and uh, maybe there's a little bit more responsibility on one player. So uh, it does make it more competitive, which uh, I guess makes it more fun, especially when the competition part has lacked in in the home run derby. Uh, But, uh, you know, I I, quite frankly, I thought he made a mistake by taking not taking Justin Upton, not for the fact that Holiday or Ricky Weeks didn't deserve it, even though Upton deserves it more than both those guys, you're a captain. is who you want? But Justin Upton hit bomb. I mean, he's hit. He's hit a 485 foot home run in his career. I think he I, he may have hit a 500 foot one. I'm not positive. I know he's hit him in that range. And uh, the longest home run in the home run derby was 474 feet by, by Prince Fielder. Maybe he didn't want to get out bombed. Maybe that was maybe that was the case. But the Arizona fans kept booing him and booing him and then. Uh, he ends up hitting a, a three-run home run, giving the National League the lead, and the Arizona fans kind of, you know, and, and I thought Prince Fielder and the Arizona fans handled it pretty well, because uh, they booed him, and as soon as he won the uh, MVP, they gave him a, a round of applause, and afterwards Prince Fielder admitted, hey, I would have booed myself too, Justin Upton was is their guy, they wanted to see him, so I, uh, maybe uh, future captains in the home run derby will uh, give a nod to the home team guy, especially if it's somebody like Justin Upton, who lives. Ball's about as far as anybody can go. I mean, I haven't gone on a vacation as far as he hits them, so it's pretty good, pretty good. So, all-star game ended up being all right. Uh, Brian Wilson ends up getting Paul Canerco on the local side to end the game. Uh, Canerco had a real good at-bat and earned a walk early in the game. He uh, uh, was down one-two in the count, fouled off a bunch of pitches, and eventually earned a walk, so it was one half of an at-bat. Uh, but he did make the last out. And Starlin Castro didn't make any errors in the field, uh, had a couple decent at-bats. And he pinched ran for Troy Tulawinski. I believe it was like in the fourth inning, and he stole second, stole third. There ended up being a wild pitch on the play, but he was stealing, so he got credit for the steal. And then uh, he broke on an infield a uh, little dribbler, and he would have scored except uh, the the kid uh, Walden, Joey Walden, uh, Jordan Walden from uh, the Anaheim Angels made a really nice play considering the guy's like six seven and gangly and very awkward of catching the. Uh, uh, the dribbler, the one bouncer uh, with his bare hand, and getting it back to uh, the catcher quick enough to get the tag on Castro. So uh, Castro, maybe a nice little you know, one game, but he had two stolen bases in an All-Star game. So that's that's something he can, uh, you know, put in his cap. So decent, pretty uh, decent this summer classic. Nothing spectacular, but it was all right. Did you get a chance to check out last night's festivities in the ball game, David?
2: I did not. I got my power back yesterday but I didn't have my cable back so
1: Oh 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 you know what I wasn't even considering that and trust that's something that we can definitely talk about for for a long time so how uh, is is your neighborhood back I know not everything in uh, in the northern suburbs is back but your neighborhood is back how many other neighborhoods up there Uh
2: I think the far north is still out and they're going to probably be out till the weekend um we got ours back about 2 in the afternoon yesterday so we were out about 36 hours or so
0: okay now Um, okay
2: but apparently you know uh, last time around three weeks ago our area got it the worst but the uh, northern suburbs like uh crystal lake and woodstock and all those areas out there they i guess that was like ground zero up there this time around
1: okay you know they got a quit putting a band-aid on the thing wouldn't you think don't you eventually think they have to fix this because it's most likely going to happen again to you this summer yeah i mean that's all they do is just keep on putting band-aids on these things. They they need a whole complete overhaul.
2: Well, so yeah, yeah, because I mean the system they have set up is fifty years old. Yeah, just like everything just like everything else in this country, you know, when they talk about updating infrastructure, this is a perfect example of it.
1: You know, you know, I'm not all big for uh government big spending and social blah blah blah, but you know, if they were gonna start throwing hundreds of billions of dollars at people, why didn't they rebuild that type of stuff. Instead of handing the money back to the people that blew it in the first place, you know, that's if you really wanted to remake America, they should have. Well, if they what they handed out, what almost a trillion dollars. So if you take uh, a, half a trillion dollars and build a bunch of roads and like roads that will last 50 years and and uh, electrical infrastructures that will last more than that that are renewable, that would have been an awful good idea instead of giving it back to the guys who stole it from us in the first place. So. Uh, our last two presidents didn't do a really good job of <laughs> of doling uh, out body being spent, but that's another issue. So, but uh, now there hasn't been any like deaths or anything, have there? I mean, people know that if you don't have electricity and air conditioning and you're old and sick, to I mean, you you haven't heard anything bad happening out that people not having electric electricity, have you? David?
2: No, no, I haven't. I haven't. I mean, because well, that, that first day was pretty. It, I mean, it was pretty hot that first day. And uh-huh. I mean, luckily yesterday it got better and today it's just, it's a gorgeous day.
1: Yeah, today is about as beautiful as it could possibly be. The last couple of days have been gorgeous. Uh, so I guess that has helped out a little bit.
2: No, but that's why that's kind of, you know, the last time I was out for you know, four days, and the only thing that really kind of made it bearable, other than my generator, was the fact that it wasn't like, you know, 95 degrees, it was still like 70 degrees, so it was comfortable in the house, it was comfortable at night, but like, Monday was brutal, because, you know, you, you had, you know, you know 80% humidity, it was 95 degrees, and it was just, it was just like, it was miserable.
1: Yeah, And, you know, it, I'd never really have been affected by it, and I'm not trying to be all like, big man on, on campus here, David, but like, when I played football i legitimately enjoyed extreme conditions because i always knew that just get over them in your head and if the other person can't you've already beat them Uh, you know so but i on monday when i got done kayaking i did a tour for the concierge here in the in the city and this was like at at five o'clock in the at night so i mean i had been exercising all day but i'm not kidding you at the end of it i couldn't eat and i had the the fake throw up where i kept trying to throw up but i i couldn't and that's definitely a sign of like heat exhaustion. i've never had that before I was, like, dumbfounded. So I was like, if I'm dealing with it, I can't imagine how people that are, like, don't exercise and stuff, how they're dealing with it. So, but it just reminded me, all the stuff that you got to do. And some of the stuff I, I didn't know, obviously, everybody knows drink a lot of fluids and, uh, and you know, don't exercise, you know, strenuously stay away from alcohol and caffeine. You're not supposed to eat a lot of protein either because it jacks up your, uh, your internal uh, heat temperature. So if you're eating like a lot of proteins, like chickens and stuff, it'll it like it really makes it worse off for you. So if you're eating healthy while you're while you're out in the heat, it's actually worse off for you, believe it or not. So you're better off just like you know actually eating a popsicle stick and stuff, which I was kind of surprised by that. So in the summer, I'm going to have uh, more popsicles, David, instead of eating so healthy.
2: Nothing wrong with more popsicles. Fear exactly.
1: So the ice cream man from now on, I'm going to chase the ice cream man down, Coach. I mean, Kostin Davis. <laughs> so, okay, well, the, well, we talked heat exhaustion. We ended up the All-Star game, and, and not exactly the greatest All-Star game. I guess the, the thing that I'm going to take most from this year's All-Star game is Keith Bell, the big fat guy, uh, closer for the San Diego Padres, is coming in in the eighth inning, and he always sprints to the mound. Every single time he comes into a game, uh, normally uh, they have some ACDC song playing, he runs in, and, you know, uh, it's uh, one, two, three uh, for the Padres when he's out there. Well, this time as he approached the mound at full speed, right in between the shortstop and the mound on the grass right there, he does this. He slides, he tears up the grass, which is pretty funny. And he pops to his feet and he gets the ball from uh, the manager and he steps right up onto the mound and he starts to warm it up like nothing happened. Uh, definitely a pretty funny moment last night. Everybody cracked up. And then, well, I saw a pretty good-looking face was uh, Stalin Castro, who was the first one to start laughing because he was right next to him as he was sliding. And then when he saw the, the grass get tore up, he put a big frown on his face, like put his head out and just shook his head as he walked back to shortstop because he realized now he's got a, like, gaping hole right in front of him at shortstop. And you don't want that in the All-Star game. You don't want any bad hops or anything. So I, I did love the, the reaction to Stalin Castro. He was the only one in the stadium that didn't find it funny after he realized what happened. So. EF Bell definitely had the moment of the All Star game. Uh, well, talk about the wow moment. Every once in a while, most of the time people say stuff so politically correct. Athletes go over what you should say to the media, what you should tweet, what you should put on your Facebook page. If you get asked like a, a very difficult question, the best way to sidestep it without looking like you're sidestepping it. Athletes are smart typically. They're you know they're They're smart enough to get to these leagues, even though, you know, I have made fun of how dumb a lot of them are. Well, sometimes they lie. Well, every once in a while, they're brutally honest. And Pittsburgh Steelers strong side linebacker James Harrison uh, just had an article written about him in Men's Magazine. Well, it came out yesterday. And the stuff in this article is absolutely priceless. To, To be honest with you, I know if, when you hear this, you're going to be like, oh, that's disgusting, blah, blah, blah. I think it's kind of refreshing. Even though it is kind of, it is really nasty, but I just, I just have to shake my head, laugh, and be like, at least somebody really told you how he felt about somebody. So he was asked about Roger Goodell. And I'm going to give you an exact quote, but I'll just, instead of going over those, I'll just go over certain things, certain words he said about him, okay? Puppet. Stupid. The devil crook okay just simple just simple and, and different lines sentences he used all those okay so i guess you can and they were all in a negative context it wasn't comparing he was saying he was all those okay and here's the best line that i love this is without a, one of the funniest ones i heard and i'm not kidding you my boy craig butler told me this in 1990 and i've never heard anybody ever say this and i'm sure you people have but I, maybe i don't get around as much as you but i finally heard somebody else saying he said it about the commissioner of the nfl james harrison of the pittsburgh steelers said if he was on fire i wouldn't in parentheses urinate on him to put it out so i mean that's he's talking about the nfl commissioner (laughs) so i know that's disgusting but you know it's about time in in some way that somebody actually just flat out just says what he wants to say and it is you are out there saying, oh, I, I can't believe you said that and why are you defending him? Joe, so, I'm really not defending him. He, it's out there. We know what kind of guy he is now. I appreciate it. That's what I appreciate about him. He isn't phony or anything. So we know he's a little bit of a strange dude and willing to be a little bit uh, mean. And as a matter of fact, the cover of this magazine article, James Harrison is sitting there without his shirt, and he's crossing his arms with his hands with two uh, revolvers in them. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not sure what guns they have, but I'm pretty sure they're like Colt 45s with some big-looking guns, is all I'm saying. And the guns that, he's, <laughs> that he has on his arms are just amazing, too. The guy's a, a pretty ripped and chiseled dude. So I just find it rather refreshing that you have a guy being so brutally honest about how he feels about somebody. And you're talking about a man in a power, a man that can find him for saying this, and he knows this. And he definitely knows he can find him, considering that uh, he's been fined about half a million dollars, maybe even more. I, I don't know the exact terms, but I know he had a couple hundred thousand dollar fines last year over a hit. And one of them was not an illegal hit or a bad hit. It was just it was just simple fact that he ended up catching a guy when he cut back, like helmet to helmet. And anybody watching that have, has ever played football would be like, you know what? You had a running back cut into a guy making a tackle and they made helmet to helmet. And it just so happened that the guy was knocked unconscious. It was not James Harrison. He wasn't going out there headhunting. He was going to go tackle a guy with the football. It wasn't like it was a receiver who was defenseless and helpless, which I completely understand that, you know, you should not go helmet-to-helmet on those guys, make a play for the ball, try to be a playmaker, try to be a guy who can, you know, intercept passes and return it for touchdowns. Don't be a guy that's going out there trying to hurt people. I mean, that's how football needs to be taught and need to be played. But it was just James Harrison making a really hard play, man. The guy hits like a missile. And uh, Mohamed Masakwa gets knocked out, and next thing you know, he's got a $100,000 fine on him. So he's upset at Roger Goodell. So if you look at it in the whole context of the thing, we know what type of guy James Harrison is now. He's Maybe not the type of guy you'd want your daughter to be like dating or whatever, but let's be honest. We know what he is. He's not a phony. He's not a fake. I like it. I appreciate it. So uh, enough with James Harrison. So if we talk about phonies and fakes, I guess the time is to talk about Roger Clemens. Hmm. Without a doubt, the steroid issue has been uh, one of the black eyes in the history of baseball. If you talk about uh, the whole gentleman's agreement and you know Jackie Robinson finally being the first African Amer- American to play in 1947, you know, okay, that's a pretty ugly issue. You know, I mean, you had the the cocaine era, the uh, the 70s and 80s, players whacked out on coke while they're playing. You know, that's you know that was a pretty ugly thing. But you know, and it seems I don't know why more media people haven't. Brought that up and ripped on that issue in the, in baseball, but the steroid issue of the of the nineties and uh, and early two thousands has definitely been one of the ugliest issues. And now Roger Clemens, it was the first day of like the opening statements today or whatever, but it took them about five days in order to find a jury because you have to admit this is a, a pretty public, uh, pretty public debate. And it's pretty sad it's a public debate. People are talking about Casey Anthony trial, they're talking about Roger Clemens when right now we're, there's a whole issue about the uh, the, uh, the debt ceiling and if we're actually going to get a budget passed in, in this country for the first time in a long time. Yet everybody's talking about Casey Anthony. I always find stuff like that weird when all of a sudden, I, I know it's disgusting that a, a young child lost her life, but I, I cannot believe it's grabbed so much public attention and there's so much media coverage on it, especially when such a dramatic and important issue like this whole debt that ceiling thing is going on in the United States right now I just shake my head and I'm like uh, like people are more concerned about about something that they have no control over and cannot do anything about anymore you're never gonna bring that girl back and uh, <laughs> while we have something like this going on in our country right now that could affect the entire planet if uh, if the ceiling ceilings not raised and we don't end up like really well we're getting the whole cut back whatever but we really need to figure out this debt ceiling thing I always find it you know a little weird okay? But getting back to the phony Roger Clemens, you know, I, this has drawn a lot of public attention, and, and uh, I think finally now people really don't care. So it took them a long time to find the jurors, and one of the jurors, I really felt—I I don't know what his name was—they didn't give his name up—but I, I really liked what he did, and and what he said. Basically, he said, "I think this is a joke that the government is wasting so much money on this. I could really care less." What he did, well, as a baseball fan, I I, I kind of already have an opinion on what he did. It was. I was like, oh, that was a phenomenal, a phenomenal thing that a juror said. And uh, if I was called to be a juror, I would have gone a little bit worse. Than I would have been like, listen, I think Roger Clemens lied. I think he did steroids or human growth hormones. I I truly believe he cheated. And I, I totally lost full total respect for him before he was Bob Feller. And right now I just think he's a cheat. So for me, he served his punishment because, I love the game of baseball, and now he is no no longer even considered top 20 in the best pitchers to me. And that would hurt Roger Clemens more than jail time. I think if he got knocked down the rung of uh, of uh, all time pitchers, because to him that's all that mattered. He wanted to be the greatest pitcher of all time. And then I would also rip on on uh, the Senate, being like, don't you guys have more important things to worry about and do right now in our country than uh, try to find out if Roger Clemens lied to you when he obviously did. The whole world knows he did. At this point, I mean, <laughs> do we really have to do anything more? Is it that important that you lied about cheating in a, in a game, it's a game, folks? And I know it is America's national pastime, but it, this is about as ugly as it can get. And I, I love the fact that the, the people that are uh, putting on, the Clemens on trial said it, has actually, or Congress, excuse me, has uh, talked about hey, we're going to call some other people to the stand. We're going to call Sammy Sosa. What does Sammy Sosa have to do with the Roger Clemens lying? I, Like Just like everybody else, he's never been actually convicted to do anything. His name was in the Mitchell report. Uh, so I, don't, I guess that means you're guilty automatically. But we all know he did. We all know he took steroids. But why do you bring – what does Sammy Sosa have anything to do with the Roger Clemens issue? Honestly, I mean – if, if that's true, why don't they bring Bill James out? And Bill James, the sabermetrics guy, could be like, oh, yeah, he must have been on steroids. We can prove it mathematically. Because his uh, the decline in a normal pitcher's career uh, when he hurt, hit this per- particular age, and that would be 1996 for Roger Clemens. I don't, I'm i not saying whatever age is, but whenever the Red Sox let him go and Roger Clemens got really P.O.ed about it and decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to get back at the Red Sox. And the next thing you know, he's got McNamee and all these people in his corner and he gets all puffy, and then he wins the 1997 Triple Crown in the American League in the Cy Young Award, and it was, a, can you believe the Red Sox let him go? Heck, the Red Sox didn't know he was going to start putting needles in his butter. They would have kept him, too. So it's just, it's just crazy. Roger Clemens has been an angry individual his whole career, and then he started taking the steroids. The next thing you know, he got real bitter, and he's doing stuff like ripping the Red Sox when he should have just shut up and gone on and been smug about it because you're winning Triple Crowns in Cy Youngs. He starts throwing broken bats at, at uh, Mike Piazza, and is just always short and contentious with everybody. He never was like that before. It, it, it's pretty sad because my, my brother absolutely adores Roger Clemens. He doesn't anymore. He doesn't even speak his name. It's pretty sad. That's what it's turned into. And I guarantee you, if all that stuff happened, and Roger Clemens just would have came on and been like, you know, I, all I wanted to do was be a great pitcher again, uh, prove the front office of the Red Sox wrong, this is what I did, but I worked my butt off that whole time. Even though I did take this human growth hormone, at this point, I, I spent five hours a day exercising and working out, and I try to become as greatest pitcher. You know what? You know he would all he would have been forgiven, and we, he'd have been understood. You know what? Yeah, this is the steroid issue. Instead, now he's he's just a liar and a guy that is just somebody that you don't even want him around. You know, when they had these Hall of Fame, uh, I don't know if he'll ever get in. That's, that's going be that's going to be really difficult. But I, I do think. He deserves to get in, but I I kind of see him as as Ty Cobb. You know, they would uh, if you ever seen the movie Cobb. People when they would have uh, these reunion for uh, baseball uh, Hall of Fame members, you know, they'd have them like every five years or so. Roger uh, Ty Cobb was the best player there, but nobody wanted anything to do with him. Like, they would have pictures, and everybody would get up and and leave Ty Cobb sitting there after they would have like a group of ten pictures. So. Uh, Babe Ruth and everybody, just walk away and just leave him sitting there. And I kind of see that happening with Roger Clemens because uh, some of his former teammates are done with him. The way he has thrown some of his former teammates. So everybody has lied. Everybody that has said anything like, oh, yeah, he did. Oh, they were lying. Or they don't remember. Oh, yeah, look. Uh, Andy Pettit, doesn't. he misunderstood you saying that you took human growth almost Because that's like something that uh, a close friend that you work out with every day, you hear something like that and be like, oh, whoa, did he say he took human?" Oh, whatever. I don't have to clarify that at all. I guess he did. Yeah. So it's just a really ugly situation. So, and if I was if I was called on to be a juror, I would definitely let Roger Clemens know he was no good to me. He's dead to me, and i thought they wouldn't accept me up there. And then also let them know that it was ridiculous, and there's no way I would convict Roger Clemens of this. And we should quit wasting our, our our money right now on this and put it to better use. Just a thought. Just a thought. Okay. Well, on the happier things.
2: Well, before we get off Roger Clemens, oh, I want to bring please, I, please, I, I, I want to bring up one, one point, and the same goes for Barry Bonds. The, the saddest thing about this whole situation is the two of them were both Hall of Famers before they started taking the steroids,
1: Absolutely. and they threw it all away. Absolutely. And Roger, I don't know if Roger Clemens was done. I don't think he would have been because he worked so hard. He's but he was at worst Bob Feller. Bob Feller is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, David. He's a top twenty pitcher. He, without question, if Roger Clemens' career ends in 1996, before he starts doing steroids, he still has, like, 240 wins at that time. Okay? You know, his ERA is below three. He's got strikeout, you know, per inning. And then all of a sudden, you know, he does this. And I, I don't think he, I, I still think he would have been a real good pitcher if you would have given him a year or two to rehab. Okay? so But he never would have been. I, I mean, it, he was so dominant for a couple of years. Well, he took the steroids. It was, it was, He was like dominant, like it was 1986 again for him. And that, that, that just was not going to happen 18 years later in his career. I, I don't understand that. But you're right, Bonds. Bonds probably still had five really good productive years left without steroids when he started taking steroids. You know, he still could have reached 600 uh, the whole runs, and maybe he would have got 600 steals because he got so puffy and big. He didn't run it. He quit stealing immediately. He's, by the way, just to let everybody know, he started taking steroids before the 2000 season. And that's, that's my guesstimate. It's a pretty good guesstimate. People have done a lot of research on this, a lot of reading. Basically, after the 1999 year when, when Bonds was hurt all year, he was sick of McGuire and Sosa getting all the headlines when he knew he was the best ball player in the game of baseball. And, and folks, he was. Even if Bonds and even if uh, Sosa and McGuire hit more home runs we all know we'd rather had Barry Bonds during that time. I mean, the guy was a tear in the, I mean, he caught everything. He ran the bases. He hit for average. He hit for clutch. I mean, the guy was besides hitting in the playoffs, but if he was the Chicago cup, they would never make the playoffs. So Barry Bonds would have been a perfect Chicago cup player. You know, uh, every, you know, everything that you'd want to be, but uh, when you really learn out and find that he, you find out he's a jerk behind the scenes and, and he doesn't hit, in the you know, he doesn't hit in the playoffs. So he would have been a perfect Chicago cup all those years. Uh, but, it, it, it's exactly what you're exactly right. They're both Hall of Famers without the steroids, and now it's totally tainted. And they're not. And uh, like, how do you put? Would you agree with my assessment of both the players? Because I, I do think Clemens was a lot closer to done than Bonds was, David.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely, he was absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, and I mean that's just that's just the nature of the pitcher, especially if you're especially if you're a hard thrower.
1: Yes, yes, and I I, I think that if Bonds doesn't take steroids, he still has. Instead of having, like, eight ridiculous years left, he would have five really, really good years left, which, you know, if that's 650 homers, uh, you know, maybe 600 stolen bases instead of 500 that he got, all of a sudden you're still saying he might be the greatest ball player of all time, especially when you consider the era and all that other stuff. And now he's just like, wow. I mean, he, but his numbers, what he did in those couple of years when he was juiced up to the – I mean, folks, his, his shoe size grew – Two sizes. He went from an 11 to a 13. Okay, his hat size went from like seven and three eighths to an eight. The man, he's a mongoloid. He, I mean, he legitimately changed the type of human being he was, David, over those over those four or five years. And I mean, so like that's when I look at an 863 slugging percentage, I, I, I it's like almost a joke to me. I, I, it's like it's so beyond comprehension. That you can have an 863 slugging percentage. I mean, if you have a 600 slugging percentage, you're going to lead the league. And so that's 25% higher. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, boy, when I can, it, as a diehard baseball fan, I'm actually kind of mad that they, that they didn't ask me to testify against them because I figure I can input. If they're going to bring Sammy Sosa up on the stage so he can say I don't speak English, they might as well have me up there and actually get a, uh, at least some type of, you know, uh, I guess opinion. Would that be a good way to put it? Yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. <laughs> okay, just, just throwing that out. I, I do appreciate that stuff you brought because that, it's an important issue to remember. These guys tarnish their careers totally. Totally because they want to be the greatest. But I, in some sense, I'm going to say this. I'm not going to be all goody two shoes about this because to be quite honest with you, I was a year ahead of school and I was really, really small for my age and I was a pretty decent football player. If somebody would have said to me, when I was a junior in high school, Joel, you'll get your grown man butt earlier. You're gonna end up being 2:30, but right now you're the skinniest high school kid anybody's ever seen. Just some human growth hormones. You'll probably get a scholarship to a Big Ten school. I would have done it. So I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to act like I'm better than anybody, people. I'm not trying to get on a high horse or anything. But when I would look back, I would have realized I cheated and I didn't do it right, and I would have been. I just know how my competitive mind was and how much I wanted it. So, I'm not forgiving these people, but I just want to. Let you, I'm not perfect, and I can understand where these guys are coming from. But the problem is, or the the realization is, they did it. They need to live with it. They need to fess up to it, and just be human about it. And I think we'd all deal with it at that point. Okay. So talk about being human. Here's the good news of the day: these U.S. women soccer players. My goodness, I'm in love with these girls. Okay. I mean, seriously, every one of them has like said exactly the right thing. They're kind of a little tiny. They're really confident, so they're not cocky. They're just real confident. They believe in themselves. And uh, it's just, just, I can't wait to actually get down and watch these girls play. And they'll be playing pretty soon here uh, on ESPN, so that should be a heck of a game. And right now, Hope Solo, my goodness, I was joking around with Coach and said, yeah, these guys will start, the guys that don't really respect soccer and that are making fun of us are actually taking interest watching this stuff. I said, they'll take interest when they see Hope Solo. Well, those guys have caught on a lot quicker than uh, needing a Maxim magazine cover, because <laughs> I, I have had more than a handful of guys talk about, man, I'm watching the game. Have you seen Hope Solo? I, which which is kind of sad, but you know what? Let's just take up for what it is. Cheer the girls on, cheer the ladies on, and uh, hope they can bring home a, a, a victory and get to the World Cup final. And These are one of those laying the weeds. I'm a little worried about this. Uh, France has played pretty well in this tournament. As a matter of fact, they, they're tied with the United States for shots on goal with 37 in this tournament so far. So obviously, uh, they I mean, I've only watched them play for like 20 minutes, so they're, they must be playing some pretty decent football if they're getting that many shots. And another thing that really worries me, the United States is 11-0-1 in all legitimate matches, all world uh, like tournament matches with France. I don't like to hear that. I would like to have heard that France had won one or before, and France has never got to the semifinals of the World Cup. So hopefully this isn't like a overdue thing to happen. But the United States has dominated play with France historically. Uh, they've outscored them 38 to eight, and they've been shut out six times out of their 12 games. So uh, typically the United States has dominated them, and that's that's what I'm a little worried about. Because I know these girls are saying everything right. And immediately after the game, they're like, hey, we loved how the game finished, and it was great. But quite honestly, it's nothing unless uh, we win the whole thing. So um, I like the attitude, but it's implementing, implementing it is something totally different. So hopefully, they, they, everything they've said so far, they really have implemented in other games. Hopefully it continues, because you could really overlook a team that you've completely dominated after you beat the greatest team in the tournament and possibly the greatest game in the history of your sport, and then now you're facing, you know, it's not like it's the final where, okay, this is the final, World Cup final. You have to get to the final now. So th- this is one of those games that you can overlook. So I think the first uh, 20, 30 minutes of this game is extremely important. And uh, they really screw the screw the nuts down on this one because you, you definitely don't want to play from behind in soccer. We all know that. And uh, there can be no letdown, no letdown whatsoever. You know, if everything goes right for the U.S., they got, Three hours of football left to play, and that's uh, so they shouldn't overlook anybody. Because I, I, I can never imagine actually doing that. You only get to play in the World Cup every four years, and there's only a handful of games that you get to play, and especially in a single elimination game. So maybe I'm being a little bit too worried about that. You got to figure that these girls realize this. I mean, how often do you get to play a World Cup game, and they would never overlook an opponent. So uh, hopefully, that's exactly what's going on, and, and they'll bring it home. So. Uh, but, uh, uh, like, there's been more Twitter ads over the last four days of all the U.S. soccer players than there have been combined in the whole entire history of all their Twitter accounts, which I find really, really funny. And I'm also, I guess I'm also coming to the realization that uh, now your popularity is judged by Twitter followers. So I, I I guess I have to throw my Twitter account out to every once in a while, folks, that you can follow me at Joel Redwansky at Twitter. But I only tweet about once every two weeks. But they're good tweets, though. So I'll, I'll let you know that. So you don't have to worry about me blowing up your phone with messages constantly. That's not going to happen. But when I do, it's kind of like the John Cohn's Confucius moment, which is a very, very deep, deep thought. And, uh, you know, this is coaches. So I'm pulling this. I was going to give you guys the John Cohn uh, Confucius moment today, because this is, I wouldn't say by far my favorite, but this is one of my favorite ones that he has, and that is those who are rowing the boat have no time to rock it. I love that, Coach. I love that. That's one of my favorite ones that you have. And, and, and I just want to throw this out there. Coach isn't here today. And the only real reason why I wanted to do the show solo today uh, was one for so I can finally speak on the show because we're always, we're always fighting over airtime. And, uh, yeah, my girlfriend recently said that I don't get enough airtime. I well, actually know she said the exact opposite. She said I hug way too much of it. But, okay, I'll, that's another story for one. But so I just wanted to say uh, John Cohn is a great man, folks. He is so good to me, has been such a good friend. And all I can say is the the fact that I've got to work with him over the last eight years has really, really been one of the greatest blessings in my life. And uh, I've had a lot of opportunities come my way just because of working with him. And uh, continued opportunities will happen because of this show and my association with John Cohen. So I just want everybody out there that listens to this, that listens to this show for me or for him or for the both of us uh a lot of times you might hear us get a little contentious on here, but uh, I, I promise you, and for those moments, yes, I do I do hate the man a little bit, but not with real, just with, with, with love and smack him on the back of his skinny back. So uh, he, he's a good man, and this is what I because every once in a while, we really go at it on here, and it usually involves something with, it usually involves this, a way to umpire a game or the way our government should spend the money. Other than that, we pretty much get along on everything, but when it, when it comes to those things, we definitely have very differing opinions and it just so happens that we're very steadfast in our beliefs. So we tend to butt heads a lot and we tend to butt heads a lot on, uh, on violence of the game. Like uh, he gets upset about the fact that I don't mind a, a quarterback getting hit a little too hard where he doesn't like to see any of that stuff. So we, that's another, that's another line of division that, that the coach and I have, but you know, we have extended the olive branches at times folks. So, it isn't always bitter between us. We we actually do have a, a really, really, really strong friendship. So just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, now, your relation, you're with David David Olson, your relationship with the coach. Now, do you find that sometimes the coach is incoherent and a little foggy at times, like he really doesn't know what's going on around him? No,
2: I mean, honestly, no. I don't.
1: Because I, I, I swear to you, the man could be the most astute man in the world at times, and then, like, like I'll have a conversation with him and sometimes I'm not thinking he's paying attention. And then he like picks out like three or four things. I mean, he's, he really has like the coach thing going on at all times. You know, you, you can't BS. You can't BS the man is what I'm trying to say to you. He kind of seems like he's laid back and all that, but he's reading you the whole time is, is what I'm saying. So,
2: no, I follow. I follow.
1: Okay. It's uh, it's, I don't know. He's a good man is all I got to say here. So, um, well, we're going to take a quick break, just for like a minute, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to give you all my first-half Major League Baseball awards. There won't be much of them, but it'll be good. I've been following baseball really in-depth this year, folks, so uh, I don't think I'm going to have too many big surprises, but I might in one particular award. So we'll be back right here at Two Guys in the Mic. This is Joel Redwanski, and where is John Cohen? I do not know.
0: Two guys in the mic. This is Joel Radwanski. Uh The other guy in the mic is not
1: here right now. That would be the man, the the one, the only John Cone. And we're going to give you uh, some uh, the awards for Major League Baseball now. But don't forget, I still have the new Lorena Bobbitt later on in the show. And uh, this this one's an extremely disturbing story, folks. And well, uh, not if you're a, a woman who's angry, but that's another issue all altogether. Okay, so the awards. Uh, there's something about mid season awards, especially in baseball that I love because the awards really really mean something i, I, I there's something special about it. like when you name like the sixth man in the NBA or um, if you get a all pro selection in the NFL I mean there's really is something to do. There. I think it's pretty important. so and I love the baseball awards probably more than anything and since baseball is a is definitely a team game without question folks. Uh, but there is a there's a little bit more individuality to it, and you can kind of break people down a little bit by their numbers a little bit better than any other sport, and so, so it's maybe a little easier to pick out the MVP. And and sometimes you got to worry about like your your criteria. Is it more like the best player on the best team, the guy who's helped the team win the most games, or really is it the most outstanding player? Is it like without question the best player in the league that year? And if you're talking in the National League this year, you know you can kind of get into the mix, you know. What player has helped their team win the most and who's the best player in the best team? Well, if you're thinking of that, well, then I guess you would have to go to the Phillies if it's the best player on the best team, but really you're going to pick Roy Halladay, you're going to pick Cliff Lee as an MVP. So I guess this year in the National League, you just got to go for the best player. I mean, Joey Votto last year as MVP, still having a phenomenal year. He's second in the National League in in batting, uh, and he's got – 13 home runs. He's driving in. He's driven in 55 runs already. So he's having a really good first half. The Reds are still in it. The Mets are probably not in the race this year. But where would the Mets be right now without Jose Reyes? Jose Reyes is leading the major leagues in batting average at .354. The major leagues in runs scored. The major leagues in in triples with 15. The major leagues in doubles with 30. And the major leagues with stolen bases with 30. Folks, no major league player has ever had a season like this in the history of the game, the pace that he's on in terms of runs scored, doubles, triples, stolen bases, and batting average. Only one other player is on, has ever had a, he's on pace to have a season that only one other player has ever had, and that was Ty Todd in 1911. So maybe the Mets are out of it and the Mets aren't going to win, but if Jose Reyes heals from this mild hamstring strain that he has, and uh, he can have a healthy second half. You're looking at a guy that could end up with 60 steals, 130 runs scored, uh, hitting three fifty, and 27 triples, and and possibly 60 doubles. He's in that. He's in that pace. That is a, a season that, without question, I don't care if the Mets finish in last place. The guy's also playing a Gold Glove shortstop. I do realize this is a contract here, and if you sign him, beware. But uh, without question, the National League most outstanding player, the most valuable player, the most electrifying player, you name it, it's Jose Reyes. Folks, I—I I, I, for some reason, I, the Mets have always turned me off. I, they were like one of the few teams that they'd be on. The day. I never found them interesting. Right now I actually love watching Mets games. Just to see this guy hit a line drive in the gap and watch him go from home to third in a heartbeat. And trust me, if you watch a series, he's going to hit a triple in it. I mean, the guy is just flat-out fantastic right now. The National League MVP of the first half is Jose Reyes of the Mets. Now over in the American League, a little bit more of a battle, but uh, I, I'm going to go with Adrian Gonzalez over Jose Bautista uh, just for the, the simple fact that Adrian Gonzalez is driving in a lot more runs. And I, I know Jose Batista does not have uh, the protection behind him that, uh, that Gonzalez did, but uh, Gonzalez is getting huge hits for the Red Sox consistently. He has continually protected Dustin Pedroia all year long, and Pedroia has not hit well at all. So I'm going to give my nod to Adrian Gonzalez. If I did have a and most outstanding player, I would give it to Jose Bautista, who right now is fourth in the American League in batting average. He's hitting about 314 or so, folks. He's got 31 home runs at the All-Star break. So that's a phenomenal year, but uh, he, he has uh, 16 less RBIs than Adrian Gonzalez. Let's focus. So that's, the, that's the, the the admit, the the... You have to score more runs than the other team. So driving the runs is more important than the home run. Now, uh, for the Cy Young Award winner in the National League, it's clear cut. Without question. I know people are gonna say Cliff Lee or, or Roy Halliday. Well believe it or not, it's Jar Ear Jar-ear-Jergen. Jurgens, Jar Ear Jurgens of the of the Braves. He's twelve and four, a one point eight seven ERA. He's got the most wins in the National League and the lowest ERA. He's the first half National League Cy Young Award winner. Now i Will he end up being the whole season? No, I think it is going to end up being Cliff Lee this year. Cliff Lee right now is as hot as any pitcher in the game of baseball. And if you don't believe me, consider this. In Cliff Lee's last 41 innings, he has more RBIs than runs allowed. Not earned runs, just runs total. He has two RBIs. He's given up one run in the last 41 innings. Not included the home run that he gave up to Adrian Gonzalez last night in the the All-Star game. So Cliff Lee, my goodness, you're on fire. So I I think he's going to end up being a – first half by Yarr Jurgens of the of the the Braves, folks, he's he's very Greg Maddox like. He doesn't throw that hard, but he throws it exactly he throws harder than Greg Maddox, but he, he's a control artist. I, I you gotta love the way he pitches. He pitches a contact and if you watch those games they're, they're over like in a heartbeat. So that's he's a national league Cy young award winner. Now in the American league, this is without a doubt a battle. So if I give when I give it to Jared Weaver in the first half who went 11-4 and four with a 1.87 ERA, which is really, really good. That's, remember that this really doesn't count for anything, because CC Sebastia, 13 wins, ERA under three. Justin Verlander, leading the American League in strikeouts with 147 at the break. And, oh, by the way, he's 12-4, and four and his ERA is just above two. So you got those three by and forward. And don't forget, Josh Beckett so far in the first half, he has 10 wins, and he's and he's got the lowest ERA in the in the American League, so there are some really really good candidates for the American League MVP, and I mean uh, Cy Young Award winner. And there's a couple guys that actually are having just as good a seasons, like Alexei Ogando of the Texas Rangers. He's got 10 wins, his ERA is 2.3. Uh, he's not going to win the Cy Young, first of all, because name first, and secondly, I doubt he'll have as good a second half. And thirdly, he can't because they're going to they're limiting his innings. But you talk about the first half he has, I mean he was in the running for the American League Cy Young Award winner. So it's been one heck of a first half for uh, the American League and stud arms and stud pitchers, and, and we haven't even named all of them because Ricky Romero had a great year, uh, first half. Gio Gonzalez, has, has uh, he walks too many people, but he's had a really, really good first half. So plenty of pitchers in the first half uh, that got it done in the, in the Major League. Now, uh, I, I, I've admitted the Cubs are out of it. They don't have a chance, but uh, the White Sox do. So, what they're going to need to have happen is have, uh, Danks or Gavin Floyd, uh, go on one of those pattern runs that they typically do over a second half. And I do think Gavin Floyd has it in him. We'll see. We'll have to see on that. Uh, but they haven't had any run by any pitcher in the first half. White Sox right now, still looking up at two other teams. Uh, they're only four and a half back, folks. Uh, they have a shot. They have a shot. We'll have to see. Okay, so enough of baseball in the, the first half report, David. Uh, do you, do you know what I'm talking about in terms of there's a new Lorena Bobbitt out on out on the loose?
2: I have not heard this story, so oh. I'm like, I, I, I've been waiting for this all show.
1: Okay, well, um, from the report.com people, if, if you just ever need news, just go to that because everything breaks first on there. No matter what it is, it broke first on the Drudge Report. It's ridiculous how these guys do this. I don't know what they do. Maybe they're doing the same thing Fox News did. Okay, and I'm being—I'm not kidding because I don't know how they get this stuff first, David. Okay. Well, a woman by the name of Catherine Keo Becker decided that uh, his, her husband deserved this. So she fed him something that would knock him out for dinner, and he awoke with uh, being tied to the bed. And as he was being tied to the bed, right when he woke up, she decided to sever his penis with a knife and then walk over. To the, uh, the trash compactor in the sink, drop it in and taunt him before she turned it on. And after she turned it on, she stopped it, she called 911 and got the the, the, uh, the police there and uh, the police and, and 911 there, whatever, the, the emergency and her response was, well, he deserved it. And that was it. And now, there not, I'm not making fun of this guy or whatever the situation, but just the reaction of the police on the videotape of this, because, you know, the videotape is everywhere now. And the, the guy trying to explain it the way I explain it, that's all he had to say, and he had trouble doing it. He was a, he was a little choked up, David, is the best way for me to say it. He really couldn't get it out the best way. And then uh, somebody asked him, can they reattach it? Like, we, we don't know. It's kind of like a mangled mess right now. So, I mean, uh, and if you see this woman, I the guy deserves it just for marrying her, to be quite honest with you. If he couldn't tell this woman was a psychopath, you should see this woman's picture. She looked flat-out evil. Okay? She's a little scary. So, the, And, you know, what's really sad is this, this happens. And the, right after this, the first thing they do is they find Lorena Bobbitt. And she's already has a comment on it. And she's like, oh, well, maybe, well, you never know what happened with them. And she's, like, defending the woman. Okay? And, and maybe, yeah, I don't know. I don't really don't know because <laughs> this is awfully, that's awfully tough. But, you know, Lorena Bobbitt has remarried, and her her new husband has no fear of what's going to happen. He doesn't think he's actually going to, you know, get under the knife whatsoever. So the guys out there, it's happened again. There's a new generation of it. And this one added, instead of driving down the street and throwing it out the car window, like Lorena Bobbitt did, this woman held it above the trash compactor, dropped it in, and taunted the guy as he did it. And I guess he wasn't very happy about that. He's very distraught over the imagery, which I don't blame him, to be quite honest with you. So... That's the new Lorena, Bob. And I hope I did not disturb you too much, David. Did I cross any lines at all during this? Well, that's –
2: wow. You didn't cross any lines, but that's that's a horrible story.
1: Isn't it? And and and, and, and in some weird way, and I don't mean to – I hope he kind of did do something bad to the woman. Not that she deserved it, but just how could you think – how could you do that? you know what I mean? Like, in some way, I kind of hope he deserved what he got. Like, if he beat her or whatnot, I could care less. You know what I mean? So – is that, is that wrong for me thinking that way? Because I, I kind of wanted because if she just did it out of pure malice, like oh he cheated on her or something. Because they're going to they're getting a divorce. They were getting a divorce before all this happened. So who knows? Who knows? I didn't want to end the end the show on that note. I really didn't. All I know is right about now they're about to drop the ball for uh, the women's ladies team and and uh, the U.S. World Cup game. But don't forget later on in the day we have. Uh, England taking on Japan after this, and that should be a a pretty good game. So whoever wins these two games faces off in the women's final. I think that's Sunday. Pretty sure it'll be on a Sunday. So Uh, let's, uh, yeah, take – I'm sorry. I I really – I probably should have put that – I'm glad I put it at that, and that wrecked the whole show. Right now I just don't feel good about doing the rest of the show after telling the whole uh, uh, Catherine T.U. Becker story. Matter of fact, I feel a little empty. But anyways, it was great doing the show with you, David Olsen. You really – uh did a good job over at the other end of the of the microphone and uh, I've missed Coach we will be back tomorrow
0: I'm, I'm expecting him back tomorrow if not I don't know if I have it in me to give a whole hour of speaking anymore because I have to do it pretty much every day if you guys want to check me out at uh, on the, doing Chicago River Tours people on the river go to waterriders.com with one R just send a message say you want to do the Big Dog Special we get you out on the river teach you stuff about Chicago you never knew it's a heck of a lot of fun and if you're a tourist in the city of Chicago you gotta do it and if you live in the city of Chicago, you have to do it because you'll see the city unlike you've ever seen it before from a totally different perspective. So uh, I appreciate you doing the show over there, David Olson, Coach, will be back tomorrow. And I do believe we're signing off right now. Everybody, there's two guys in my, Gilbert, Lansky, John John We'll be back tomorrow. Thank you very much.